Lord, we do thank you for this time together tonight. And we thank you for your word, which instructs us and which teaches us. And we thank you for the teacher, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray tonight that you would teach us about yourself and that you would teach us about what it means and looks like to experience you. Speak this, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think you'd all agree that there is a difference between reading about honey being sweet and tasting honey. Um, you can read about the sweetness of honey and the different types of honey and how good honey is, but there's something more wonderful by tasting honey. And over the past number of weeks, we've been reading about the Holy Spirit from the Bible. We've been hearing sermons about the Holy Spirit. We've been exploring the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is actually a person to be experienced. As Christians, we're not just to know about the Holy Spirit, but we are to experience the work of the Spirit in our life. Now, I wonder whenever you think about experiencing the Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind? Um, I became a Christian at university, which many of you know, and um, whenever I was, uh, came to faith, um, I was told, go to your local church. And so I went to the church that was closest to my halls of residence. And this church, it was a, a Pentecostal church. So there was a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The service was all about trying to experience the Holy Spirit. Here at Ravenhill in the evenings, we've been getting used to two songs in a row. You know, we have that up-down thing in the middle. We're still getting used to it. Well, when you went to a Pentecostal church, maybe for the first 25 to 30 minutes, there was worship music and singing. And the hope was that in that time, you would have an experience with the Holy Spirit. And what was that experience? Well, it was encouraged that it would be a physical experience, that you might feel tingling, that you might feel a surge of energy, that you might just experience something supernatural and wonderful. And that was what we were encouraged to experience. To experience the Holy Spirit was to experience this powerful, supernatural, wonderful, emotional thing. And the sad thing was that very often I left church hugely disappointed, feeling like my experience of the Holy Spirit was deficient. Because most weeks I left having not really experienced anything like what others were experiencing around me. Some people were laughing almost uncontrollably. Some people were weeping almost uncontrollably. Some people were shaking at times. Some people were falling over. And I was kind of going, I don't have any of this. I'm not experiencing any of this. Is my experience of the Holy Spirit deficient? I only stayed in that church for a little while, but for the year that I was there, I just always felt like my experience of the Holy Spirit was deficient. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not in any way criticizing the Pentecostals. We can learn so much from them. They have joy. They believe the promises of God. They have faith. They have an excitement about Jesus. They are evangelist specialists. They are incredible in their faith. And I have many good friends who are Pentecostals, many good friends who, who do say that they would have this kind of experience with the Holy Spirit. And they are genuine Christians and wonderful people. And I would commend them to you. Don't kind of mishear me. I'm not saying Pentecostalism is bad. But what I'm saying is that in that first year of being a Christian, I felt like my faith was deficient, that I was not experiencing the Holy Spirit like everyone else was. 
And maybe tonight as you sit here, you think to yourself, do you know what, Marty? We've been learning about the Holy Spirit, hearing about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure I've experienced him. I'm not sure I have personal experience with the Holy Spirit. I'm just not sure that I could say with certainty that the Holy Spirit has been at work in my life and is at work in my life. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're just feeling like you don't really know if the Holy Spirit has been at work or is at work or you're experiencing the Spirit's work in your life. Well, tonight my hope is that you feel very reassured. Because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at what the Bible says our experience of the Holy Spirit should be as Christians. And I'm convinced that almost all of us, hopefully all of us, will leave here saying, do you know what? I'm encouraged because God's Spirit is at work in my life. But before we get to to some of the things that, the ways that we should or do experience the Holy Spirit, which will hopefully encourage you, let me just highlight, it was in the the little video, the, the three main descriptions of the Spirit in the Bible. The first is wind. Wind is the first way that the Spirit is described. And what does wind do? Well, it, it moves, but you don't see it. It does things, but you're not always aware of it. Now, there's some days you go out and it's blowing a gale, you know, and, and your head's nearly blown off. And there's some days you go out and you really experience the wind. You, you can feel it. But most days we go out and we're not really conscious of the wind. We don't really notice it, but yet it's at work doing what it does and again I think that's intentional I think that's an intentional reason why the Holy Spirit is described as wind very often he's at work and we don't realize we don't notice we don't think about it then the second thing the word is breath this idea of breath and in Genesis God breathes life into Adam and again the Holy Spirit he he gives life We might not see him, but he energizes and he he gives life and he gives vibrancy and, and he makes things that are dead alive, makes people who were dead alive spiritually. And then the last word is spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us, we would say that we have a spirit, right? Yeah, we have a spirit, yeah. Go to the doctor and ask him, where's my spirit? What will he tell you? Well, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't know where it is. I can't detect it. I can't see it. It's elusive. Can't see it. Can't detect it. Yet it's present. And again, very often, this is how it is with the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit might move in very powerful ways. We might really be aware of the Spirit. We might experience something very powerful in our experience. But very often, the Spirit's work and experience is undetected. It's elusive. It's almost under the radar. So I want to encourage you tonight, if you've not had a powerful experience with the Spirit, if you've not had this kind of supernatural experience, that's okay. That does not mean that you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit. And those of you who have had a powerful experience with the Spirit, thank God for that because I'm sure it's been encouraging. So thank God if you have and don't panic or worry if you haven't. So anyway, what ways do we experience the Holy Spirit? Well, the first way we experience the Holy Spirit is we experience him leading us. Um, A few weeks ago, if you remember, on Sunday morning, we introduced new members to the life of our church. And in the past year, the Presbyterian Church have come up with vows that every member of the Presbyterian Church has to take. And the penultimate promise 
that all new members of the Presbyterian Church make are this. It's that they will live a life led by the Holy Spirit. So a couple of weeks ago, you'll have heard me stand up and say this. Do you promise to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit? And everyone at the front said, I do. But here's a question. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? Some of you here sitting tonight thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I am. Well, again, I'm going to try to reassure you tonight. Um, the, the Bible does say that we're to be led by the Spirit, and it does say that the Holy Spirit leads us. And I want to suggest that the Bible says that there's an uncommon way, a strange way, a, a, not, a way that's not very often, but it can happen, and a way that is more common and usual. So let me head off with the, with the uncommon way the Spirit leads us, first of all. And you'll find this uncommon way mainly in the book of Acts. So for example, do you remember Philip? So there he is, there's Philip. And an angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury uh, of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot and the book of Isaiah the prophet. And then verse, 19, verse 29 says this, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip is in this city and he sees the chariot and somehow the Holy Spirit communicates to him, Philip, I want you to go to that chariot over there and I want you to stay near it. I want you to walk beside it. And so Philip does and the chariot is opened and he goes in and he explains who the man's reading about in Isaiah 53. So there's this prompting of the Spirit, this very direct prompting to go over there and to walk by the chariot. And then in Acts 16, we're told this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So it was like they were planning to go to Asia and somehow the Spirit said, nope, you're not to go there. Stop in your tracks. Don't go there, Paul. So it seems that sometimes... And not all the time, because it's not even common in the Bible, that sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt us in a certain direction. Maybe towards a certain person. Maybe towards a certain conversation. Maybe towards a certain loving action. Sometimes the Spirit might prompt us to do something out of the ordinary. But that is not the common way the Spirit leads us. But it is an uncommon way. It is one way the Spirit leads us. Now, just to caveat that, he'll never tell you to do something sinful. He'll never tell you to do something that, that is forbidden in the Bible. Um, a number of years ago, it was very, very sad, but a Christian leader came out and said, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my wife and to marry this lady. That was not the Holy Spirit. That was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never leads us into sin. He never leads us to do anything that's contrary to the word of God. But sometimes he might prompt us to go and to speak or to encourage or to, to ring. I've had that experience um, a number of times. I remember one time late at night and just had the prompting to, to phone somebody up. It was really bizarre, just to give them a phone call. And I phoned them and it, there was a very definite reason for the call. So sometimes, uncommonly, the Spirit might prompt us in that way. But the normal way that the Spirit leads us 
the normal way he leads us is he leads us away from sin and he leads us towards holiness. There are only two times in the Bible where it's specifically mentioned that we're led by the Spirit. And one of them is in Galatians 5. So if you look at your text, uh, verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're They're in conflict with one another, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So do you see where the Spirit leads us? The Spirit leads us away from gratifying what the flesh desires. Within us, there are two persons, if you like. There's the old person still living in there before Christ. That person who loves sin. That person who loves to follow their sinful desires. That person lives in each of us. And then there's the new person who, who God has made us to be, this new person who loves Jesus and who wants to follow God and, and live for God and obey God. And within us, there are these two people living. I'm not the only one, right? You both ex- you all experienced that? Yeah, great, I'm not alone. Phew, okay. Well, if we're being led by the Spirit, we're being led away from those fleshly desires towards godliness. Whenever we're tempted to follow the sinful path. It's the Holy Spirit who takes us by the hand and says, no, 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 not that way. Let's go this way, Marty. Whenever I'm sitting in traffic and I'm starting to panic and I'm starting to get impatient, especially because it's someone's fault for driving really slow or not taking the lights, whatever it is, It's the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, Marty, just have a peace about this. Hey, Marty, the Lord is sovereign even over these plans. Hey, Marty, you don't need to get out and cause a fight or start road raging. The Holy Spirit leads us that way. Do you experience that? Do you? Do you experience that? Do you experience that? You're experiencing the work of the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit at work. That is an experience of the Spirit of God working in your life. It's not very fancy. It's not very flashy. It's not all lights and fog machines, but that is the work of the Spirit. And I want to encourage you tonight, that is the Spirit at work in your life. That's one way he works. Sometimes that prompting to do something, but very often just a leading towards godliness and away from following our sinful desires. Then another way that the Spirit, uh, we experience him, is that the Spirit teaches us. In John 14, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And the Holy Spirit is the one who takes God's word and helps us to really get it. It's the Holy Spirit who takes God's word and and makes it have an impact in our lives. I love it. Uh, Some some days, and uh, it just just encourages me that the Spirit's at work. Some Sundays I'll be at at the front at the end and someone will come out to me and they'll say, were you watching my week this week? Or they'll say to me, Marty, you don't know what I'm going through, but but the Lord really spoke to me through what you said there. 
Or Marty, do you know what? That really challenged me. I felt really challenged this morning by that sermon. Now, I would love to say, yes, I'm a wonderful preacher, and it's because of my work in the text and all the work in the study. That's not what it is, though. The only reason that a sermon hits the target, the only reason that you ever feel like that is because the Spirit is at work teaching you, teaching you about yourself, teaching you about what God wants, teaching you how to live. The Spirit is at work teaching us. And then the Spirit's also at work because he continues to teach us. I don't know if you ever had the experience of being out and um, you've been out walking and something's been in your mind and you've just had the remembrance of a Bible passage or the remembrance of something from a sermon, a sermon that you don't even remember taking in, but you remember such and such or somebody said this one time in a sermon and that one thing you remember really helps you in that moment. Have you ever had that? I love it whenever people remember something I've preached and it's not for me, but I take the credit. No, it's a, but you know, do you ever have that? Again, that's the work of the Spirit. Jesus says the Spirit will come and he will teach you and he will bring to remembrance everything that I said. If you come to church on Sundays or if you're reading your Bible at home or if you're out walking and you remember something from God's word that speaks to you, that is the Spirit at work. Are you encouraged? Do you experience the work of the Spirit in your life? Yeah, you do. I hope you do. I hope you do. <laughs> it's also very humbling as a preacher though I remember one time uh, someone came up to me and they said that was one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard and they said what it made it so powerful the, the one thing that really spoke to me was whenever you quoted the hymn lyrics and they named the hymn and they quoted the lyrics that I said and I didn't say them <laughs> I didn't mention the hymn, I didn't mention the lyrics I didn't say anything but the Holy Spirit at that time in the sermon, the Holy Spirit had brought those lyrics to the man's heart and they administered them. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us about ourselves and about Christ. And I, I know that many of you experience his teaching. You experience him that way. The Holy Spirit then also empowers us to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now this is Pentecost, so this is a, a one-time event. The Pentecost is a one-time event in history. It's not repeated. It's not repeatable. It's a very special thing. But this principle is still the same. Jesus says to the apostles who are the foundation of the church, so the church received this as well, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't need to tell you that the, the first century, being a Christian, <laughs> it was certainly not a walk in the park. Persecution became rife. To, to say Jesus was Lord could have your head come off. You know, it wasn't easy to be a Christian. But Jesus says that the, the Spirit would empower these apostles and the church to say, yes, I trust in Jesus and let me tell you something about him. Let me tell you the difference he's made in my life. Let me testify to Christ and his work and his life. The Spirit empowered them. Do you know what it says in another part of the Bible? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now we read that and we kind of go, well, people could just get up and say that. But what it's trying to say is that no one can testify in public in this time of persecution that Jesus is Lord knowing they're probably going to be killed apart from by the empowering of the Spirit. We live in a world where it's hard to be a Christian, where it's 
kind of embarrassing to be a Christian in some places where it looks like we're silly for being Christians. We live in a world where actually what we'd like to do is kind of hide it if we could in some circumstances. And yet many of us, we don't, do we? We say, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He's changed my life. I love the Lord. Many of you have done that in your workplaces. The people you work with know you're a follower of Christ. You're not ashamed. Now, it's not that you go out preaching to them every day. You know, you don't go in with your daily verse. Let me share this verse. But, but you're open about your faith in Christ. You're not ashamed. You, you testify, you witness for Christ. That's not because you're a wonderful person. That's a work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, this would be so hard to do. But yet you're able to do it because of the Spirit. And whenever you share the gospel with people, that's a work of the Spirit. Whenever you have that boldness to do it, whenever you have that clarity to do it, and again, whenever people respond to the gospel, that's a work of the Spirit. It's wonderful to see people come to faith in Christ. It's the most amazing thing ever, but that can only happen by the Spirit. But again, if you find yourself this, morning, this evening saying, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian, I'm not ashamed to let people know I'm not ashamed to identify with Christ, that is the experience of the Spirit in you. So be encouraged. You still with me? Let's move on then. Got another three. Let's go on to the next one. The, the Spirit also reassures us that we are God's children. Romans 8, which we've been looking at a lot recently, and uh, it's called the, it's, someone calls it the Great Eight, the greatest chapter in the Bible. And I think there is a lot of sermons in Romans chapter 8. I think when we did five, I think there could be 25. But Romans 8, 14 to 17 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we are children of God. Now, all of us here this evening, we fail, don't we, at times? We blow it. We, we give in to the sinful nature at times. We, we fall that way. We are not led by the Spirit at times, and we struggle with that, and we think, you know what? I'm a terrible Christian. Sometimes we don't feel necessarily close to God. Our devotional life is out the window, or we maybe haven't been able to go to church because of ill health. Sometimes what we can do for God and what we do for God just feels like it falls a wee bit short. It's not what we want. And yet, even in those times, the Holy Spirit assures us, but you're a child of God. You've been rescued by Jesus. You've been brought into the family. Sure, you're struggling. Sure, you're not doing what you'd like to do, but you know what? You're still one of the family. You're still an heir of Christ. Again, do you experience that? That assurance of salvation, that assurance that you're a child of God even when you feel, do you know what that is? That's an experience of the Spirit. He testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Another thing then that the Spirit does, and again, you'll have this experience, is he transforms us. He changes us. You read about the things, uh, the, the, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, I know some of those you haven't been involved in in your previous life, but, but some of them you have. Some of these things, they were the things that defined you. You were angry. 
you were jealous, you were envious, you loved causing strife, you loved winding people up, you loved causing problems. But not anymore. Oh, you've been transformed. You're a new person. You're full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. You are a transformed person. I'm sure you're not perfect. <laughs> you're, you know, you're not all of these things all the time, but you're not the person you were. You're a new creation. You are different. And even those of you here tonight who can't remember a time you didn't love Jesus. I know that there's many of you here tonight and you had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home and you had the privilege of learning the scriptures from being a child like my children are getting to learn. And, and you can't remember a time when you didn't love Christ. But even for you, if, if you think about what you were like five years ago or 10 years ago and what you're like now, you're different. God's Spirit has been at work changing and transforming you and making you more like Jesus. And the wonderful thing is that in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, you'll be different again. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Have you experienced that? You have that experience of the Spirit? And then finally, the last thing I'm going to focus on tonight is that the Holy Spirit amazes us with Jesus. He amazes us with Jesus. In John 16, Jesus says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak in his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what, that, what is yet to come. And then it says this, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. But he says, he will glorify me. In our world today, if you talk to people about Jesus, many of them will go, ah, so what? That's if they're polite. If they're not polite, they'll say, I don't want to know. Couldn't care less. Take your Jesus and away you go. Don't want anything to do with him. I don't want to hear about him. I have a friend, uh, Steve. <laughs> And Steve said to me, whenever I hear him, he says, Dick, Steve, Marty, he says, Marty, it's great you're a Christian. He says, that's good for you. He says, but I never want you to talk to me about Jesus. I never want to hear about him from you. Otherwise, we can't be friends. Our world is apathetic about Jesus, is not interested in Jesus. And I got to say, as a teenager, I heard about Jesus and it was like water off a duck's back. All right. Went to church, went to the youth group. Jesus, yeah, mm, mm, mm. I'm sure you've had that experience too, many of you. One time in your life, Jesus, it was like, meh. But what does the Spirit do? The Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Spirit shines on Jesus and says, look at him. Isn't he awesome? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he just fantastic? Isn't he just brilliant? Do you see what he's done for you? Do you see his love for you? Do you see what he, he thinks of you? Do you see what he's going to do for you? Do you see how he wants to bless you? Do you see that he died for you? Isn't that awesome? The Spirit lights up Jesus and says, hey, look at how great he is. If you're here tonight and you love Jesus, if you're here tonight and you're just delighted by what Jesus has done, if you're here tonight and you think Jesus is fantastic, 
I'm just in awe of the cross and I'm amazed at his resurrection and I just, I just love him. Do you know why that is? It's because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has, has magnified Jesus in your heart. He's made him big to you. He's shown you Christ and how beautiful he is. Maybe you've had no flashing lights. Maybe you've had no uncontrollable weeping. Maybe you've had no overwhelming feelings. Maybe you've had none of that stuff that you might have thought was experiencing the Holy Spirit. That's okay. But can I assure you tonight that if you've experienced these things we've talked about, his leading, his teaching, his empowering, his assuring, his transforming, and his amazingness with Jesus, then you're experiencing the work of the Spirit in your life. So can I encourage you to do four things? Recognize he's at work. Just recognize that. Recognize that tonight. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You have experienced him and you are experiencing him. Recognize that tonight. Secondly, ask him to be more at work in your life. Ask him to transform you in those areas that you know you need transformation. Ask him to empower you in those places when you know you're ashamed to be a witness. Ask him to teach you when you come on a Sunday and you're struggling to listen. Ask him to do the things that he does, that he's promised to do. And thank him. Um, I don't know, I think in the Presbyterian Church we like to thank the Father and we like to thank the Son. And we kind of don't thank the Spirit. And I know they all work together as John was pointing out a couple of weeks ago. But I think at times we need to thank the Holy Spirit. Thank you for leading me away from sin in that situation. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for showing me Jesus. Thank you for all you're doing. And then lastly, just be assured. Be assured tonight. Even though we're Presbyterians and not into that Pentecostal stuff. Be assured tonight that the Spirit of God has been at work and is at work and will continue to be at work in your life for now and forever. Let's pray a prayer of response. And I'm, I'm kind of using different people's prayers tonight because I find them so helpful. So tonight we're using a, a prayer of response by a man called Francis Chan. And this is actually from the book, Forgotten God. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we know that we have done wrong by you. Please forgive us for grieving, resisting, and quenching you. We've resisted you through sin, through our rebellion and through our hardness of heart. At times we've been spiritually blind. At other times we knew what you wanted us to do, but we chose to ignore your promptings. Yet this is not how we want to live now. We need you to change us. Only through you can we truly worship. Spirit of the Lord, you are the one who brings us to a place where we can worship. You are the spirit of truth, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of life. Thank you for the truth, the holiness, and the life that you give us. We need your wisdom, Holy Spirit. And we need your understanding as we seek to live this life. Keep us from disbelief, from fear. We need your strength to help us do what you're asking us to do and to live how you're asking us to live. Speak loudly and drown out all the other voices calling us to conform to the patterns of this world.
You are the spirit of self-control and of love. Give us the self-control needed to deny our flesh and to follow you. Give us a love strong enough to motivate courageous action. Manifest yourself through us that we may serve and love your bride, the church, as you do. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. We don't know exactly what that means and looks like for each of us. But nonetheless, whatever it means, we ask for your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.